Let's just pray again. Father God, thank you for us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Lord, thank you that you are the one who makes us new. Lord, that you, you died and rose again so that we might be changed. Lord, we do own that, that so often, so often we fall so far short of your standards and your glory. Father, please forgive us for the ways that we have fallen and stumbled this week. Change us. Thank you, Lord, that there is possibility and that there is hope for forgiveness and for change and for new life because of what you have done. Lord, you promised that by your stripes we are healed. struggle so much to understand how this works. How your innocence was found guilty. Was found guilty by man and then the guilt of man was put on you. Oh Lord, we don't pretend to fully understand but we do ask that you would please by your grace, pour your grace in. Help us today to, to really understand what happened that first Easter so many years ago. Apply it to our lives, we pray. Change us, we pray. Renew us, we ask. Father, please speak through me that the truth about your Son might, might shine forth in this place. You know, if you read the story of Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Mark, Mark is one of my favorite Gospels because he's just go, 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 go. Um, every second line is, and then Jesus, and then Jesus, and then Jesus said this, and then Jesus said this, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus crossed over the lake, and then Jesus met the Gerasene demonic, and then Jesus went back, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus decided to go here, and then Jesus decided to go there, and Jesus did this, and Jesus healed that person, and Jesus gave sight to that person, and Jesus, and Jesus, and Jesus, and Jesus. Jesus is the one who is active throughout the gospel of Mark. Jesus is setting the pace. Jesus is moving forward. He's got an agenda, and he is just going for it. He's the one who initiates. He's the one who transforms situations. Um, he meets some fishermen. All of a sudden, he says, right, I'm changing things up. No longer you're going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for people instead. He meets the father of a dead girl and he transforms it and she's raised to life. He meets a storm and he transforms it and it's stilled. But here, everything seems to change. It's, it's right that Jesus is the initiator and the transformer. After all, he's the one who made everything by whom everything exists and has its being. He's the one who should be in charge. But here, 
Jesus is just the subject of what other people do and other people say. It's the middle of the night. Remember, here we are Thursday night, Friday according to their custom. Probably about eight or nine hours until midday Friday morning when Jesus breathes his last. We are well and truly in the last 24 hours of his life. And Jesus is at trial. We saw Peter's response last week. We saw all the disciples' responses. They ran away and left Jesus all alone. It's the middle of the night. This is a, a kangaroo court. According to the official rules of the Sanhedrin, of the Jewish council, they were not allowed to hold trials at night, but, but they just sort of fudging those rules just a little bit because time's short and, and, and they really want to get to, to hand Jesus over to Pilate really, really quickly. They, they hate Jesus' guts. They've just had a, a handful of him. They, they, they're allowed to arrest him. They're allowed to beat him up. That's all fine. But the one thing they can't do is they can't kill him. And they, they need to just get their case sorted out so that early in the morning they can go to Pontius Pilate, hand Jesus over and say, execute him now. Now, just a bit of history for you. They didn't have air conditioning back then. And the courts where Pontius Pilate held, uh, held court was, was not inside in a nice cool building. He just went and sort of sat outside. Um, early in the morning is when he would do his judging. And then come mid to late morning, he'd stop and he'd relax for the rest of the day. It's a nice job being Roman governor. You work maybe four hours in the morning. But they had to hurry because, because they needed to get Jesus there early in the morning so that they could get him uh, tried that very same day. And we see here in verses 53 to 65 the, the trial at midnight by Jesus. Three possible sources for what happened there. Um, the resurrected Jesus might have said something about what happened. Or Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. Uh, both members of the Jewish ruling council who um, I think became Christians. Certainly old Joseph is the one that took Jesus' body and buried him, which is not something that one of the Sanhedrin would have wanted to do. So they find him, he's arrested, he's taken to the high priest's house. Peter's outside denying Jesus and swearing against him. And they start looking for evidence. Verse 55. They were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. And straight away we see that this is not a legitimate court hearing. This is not they brought Jesus in so that they could come to an understanding of the truth. This is they brought Jesus in and they started trying to find ways to have him killed. And, and they bring in witness after witness after witness. And, and isn't it odd that it's probably about 2 a.m. in the morning and all of a sudden there's all these witnesses just happen to be available at the right place at the right time to come and give testimony against Jesus. False witnesses, we're told. Isn't it even possible that some of these witnesses are like Judas, people who have been paid to come and perjure themselves? 
And yet, with all these false witnesses, there is no possibility of fastening anything against Jesus. Jewish law was quite strict. Uh, if you had um, two witnesses, they both had to, they, they gave their witness independently of each other. And if their witness differed in even the smallest, smallest amount, both of their testimonies were struck out, were inadmissible. So even though they're being maybe paid to tell lies about Jesus, they're not doing a very good job because they're not telling the same lies. And so what they say doesn't count. And then we come and there's, there's one particular charge that comes up um, in verse 58. Some men finally stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. And even then they don't get their story straight. This is quite interesting. If you've never read any gospel except Mark, that just sounds like an out-and-out lie because Mark doesn't record Jesus saying that. John, John records Jesus saying something like that, saying, you know what, um, see this temple, break it down, and I will build another in three days. Jesus doesn't say, I'll destroy the temple. He says, I will. You'll see the new temple. His body. His body made new on Easter Friday. Uh, sorry, Good Sunday. They bring charge against charge against him. And Jesus just stands. You must have irritated the high priest Caiaphas a great deal. <laughs> he just wants to get Jesus. So he stands up, he breaks all the rules, and he charges Jesus directly. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? In other words, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? Like everyone was talking about, could it be that Jesus is the Messiah? Could it be that He is the Savior? Could it be that He is the promised one? Could it be? So far in the Gospel of Mark, the closest we've had from people is questions. Are you the Son of God? Mark 1.1 1, 1 begins with these words. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Three chapters in, some demons scream out, 3 verse 11. I know who you are, you're the Son of God! God spoke himself from the cloud saying, This is my dearly beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And for the first time in Mark, Jesus himself 
asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? He says, I am. Up until this point, Jesus has been, well, he hasn't been hiding who he is, but he hasn't been going out there saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Because I think Jesus knew that the way the crowds were, they would have grabbed him and forced him to be king. They would have wanted him to rule in their own image of what that meant. In fact, at one point, Jesus has to escape from the crowd after feeding them because, because they decide that they want to force him to be king. And it's only here at Easter when Jesus is arrested, when he is definitely going to die, when the crowd will not be able to grab him and force him to be king, that Jesus turns around and says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And again, notice how, how old Caiaphas doesn't say, oh, that, that's a big claim. Let's, let's test it. Let's, let's compare and see whether you actually match up with the requirements. Old Caiaphas has already decided Jesus is guilty, so he says, that's enough for me, and he rips his clothes off. I'm not going to do it now. And he's, he screams, and he says, ah, don't you all agree? You've heard. We don't need witnesses. He's guilty as sin. Let's do away with him. He said, blasphemy. Why? What does Jesus say? He says in verse 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus, what is He doing? He's combining two different images from the Old Testament. Psalm 110 is, is the one where he's, He speaks about the Son of Man seated in the place of power at the right hand of God. And, 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 and in, in Jewish thought, this is, this is right because the Messiah, the King of Israel, would sit at the right hand of God. He would share in the power of God on, on, on this earth. Psalm 110, but, but Jesus also draws from Daniel chapter 7. One like a son of man coming on the clouds. Coming from where God is. Jesus is doing more than just claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the one who has the divine stamp of approval. He's claiming to be God himself. He's turning around to them and saying, Yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, but I am also the Son of Man. And I come from God, and you will see me coming. And I will be seated at the right hand. 
I will be seated at the right hand. You are judging me guilty, but God will judge me righteous and God will seat me at the place of power. And one day I will return and you will see me coming. I am God. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of Man. There's two big charges that Mark highlights for us. The charge that Jesus somehow threatened to destroy the temple and the charge that Jesus is the Messiah. And we'll see that Jesus at the cross is taunted for both of those things. That is death, the temple veil is torn in two and the temple is done away with. It's made pointless. And we'll see a Roman soldier looking up at Jesus and going, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely he was. And this court has made a mockery of justice and they conclude with a mockery of Jesus and they spit and they beat on him and they blindfold him and they say figure out figure out who hit you and it's now that Jesus decides to speak plainly and publicly and say I am the saviour People jump to that conclusion throughout Mark. And each time Jesus says, shh, don't tell anyone. And yet now, he says, I am. This is the power of God that when Jesus seems weakness, weakest, he admits to his greatest power. And they meet again early in the morning, probably just to legitimize the proceedings. Remember, they weren't actually allowed to have court in the middle of the night. So, so they, they have court in the middle of the night and they have a quick, let's do it legally, quickly in the morning. Right, guilty, yes, all in favor. And they charge him up. And, and how horrible is what they do in 15 verse 1? They, the entire high council met to discuss the next step. They bound Jesus and led him away. Jesus has stood still while they've hit him and mocked him and battered him and, and bruised him. And yet they decide that here's a dangerous man. We need to wrap him up really tightly. Maybe so that when we get to Pilate, Pilate will assume, boy, this guy must be a real threat to society. Look at how, how tightly they've had to tie him up. And they take him to old Pilate, who's a horrible guy, by the way. His history of stuff that he did. If you read some of Josephus, he oh, he slaughtered people. 
there's one particular occasion where, where he, he went and killed some Galileans, people from where Jesus spent most of his time and mixed their blood in with their sacrifices. He detested these Jews. He didn't like them. He was just a, a creep and a nutter. Um, and yet he had power of life or death over everyone except the Roman citizens in Judea. And, and these governors used to use this power. In fact, they used to abuse it. These historians, uh, Josephus and uh, Trajan, speak about um, 40 times when, when governors are put on trial um, under the emperor's, who is it, Augustus to Trajan. 40 times governors were put under trial for gross misuse of their powers. Gross abuse of this right that they've been given by Rome to, to have life or death decisions over people. And Pilate, he doesn't feel under any obligation to, to give Jesus a fair trial. He's in Jerusalem for Passover, especially because it's, it's this really big time and it's a time when the Jewish people are remembering they're being, fray, uh, being set free from the oppression of Egypt and it's maybe a time when there might be some riots and people thinking, let's be free from the Romans. And so usually Pilate is at Caesarea on the sea where, where his main sort of center is, but he's come up to Jerusalem to make sure that there's a power of Rome to quell any uprising. And it seems like maybe there has been a bit of an uprising because as we know, there are some revolutionaries, there are some rebels that have been arrested and have been put in jail. So his main goal at the moment is to make sure that everything just stays nice and smooth and calm and orderly and that the people don't get into any big huff. Oh, and also he probably wanted to make sure that he could stick it to the chief priests just a little bit. Because he didn't like them very much. If you read the historians, there's quite a few occasions where he purposely went out and, and did things to annoy them. Brought in the Roman standard into Jerusalem and into the temple, which the chief priests hated. The, the vestments, the, 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 the clothing even, he kept in his own palace so that the chief priests had to always come and ask permission to use it. They didn't like him very much. And he didn't like them very much. And here they arrive with Jesus. With trumped up charges, and, and they've twisted this claim, are you the Messiah? Because Pilate's not going to kill anyone because of some silly Jewish religious argument as far as he's concerned. Blasphemy, blasphemy. You're all blasphemers. You should bow down to our gods. But what does he do? Well, he's presented with a different charge. They've twisted the high priest. They said, so Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. The Messiah is the king of Israel. A king is someone who leads a Caesar claims to be king. If we say that Jesus is a kind of king, then, then, then Pilate will have to get rid of him because Caesar will have no people trying to be king in place of him. So they twist, he is the Messiah, he is a blasphemer, into he claims to be king. It's the official charge. And Pilate asks Jesus, well, are you the king of the Jews? 
Because if you are, I have no choice but to have you condemned. Jesus' answer is one answer. They're throwing other charges at him left, right, and center, and he's just staying silent. But, but Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say that I am. And you have said it. It's kind of a, yes, I am the king, But you don't understand what that means. Not, not the way you, you think of king. In fact, some of the other gospels have a, a larger version of this where, where Jesus speaks about how, how he is, he's not the kind of king that Pilate thinks he is. And he just keeps quiet. Pilate probably wanted to release Jesus without doing anything to him. Maybe. But he can't just let someone go who keeps quiet against the charge of standing against the authority of Rome. He plans, he says, he's just going to have him beaten up a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. I think you're innocent, but let's just beat you up a bit and that'll, that'll set you right. And then the crowds come, verses 6 to 15. And they say, Pilate, every year at this time of year you give us one free person. Give us our free person. And Pilate says, ha, oh, snap, great way to let Jesus off. Have Jesus or have the murderer. And they scream for Barabbas. And they said, we'll have the one who takes lives to further his own cause. You have the one who gives his life to further our cause. And you know, there's, there's lots of talk about, oh, this is probably a different crowd from the one that screamed on Palm Sunday, or, or these are supporters of a Barabbas, or, or how did the high priest manage to convince the crowd to scream for Barabbas and not Jesus? I reckon, wouldn't we scream for Barabbas? Have you seen the new action movie that's come out? There's this man, and his family gets kidnapped, and they're being held ransom. And so he prays for them. And then the movie finishes. You going to go watch it? Have, have, you, have you seen the other action movie? There's, there's this man and he's got some enemies who are really hate him. And he's been going around doing wonderfully good things. And, and, and the, the, the rebels are just going against him and they're angry at him. And eventually they take him captive and they're going to beat him up. And all of a sudden he sees them and he... Ah! stands quiet as they hit him a few more times. This country is invaded. 
China has moved in and taken over Western Australia, and we pray for the new leaders. Doesn't make good action movie, does it? We want somebody, slice and dice the enemy, bash him up good and proper. We want Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. He will get rid of the Romans. He got arrested. He's not very good, but at least he's trying. At least he's trying. Look at Jesus. He's, he got beaten up by our own people. How's he going to survive the Romans? We want the Barabbas. We want those who, when they are pushed to the limit, snap back and have vengeance. We certainly don't want a Messiah who passively puts up with suffering and mockery and false charges. Maybe we're also a bit like Pilate. He's a man who can do what he wants. He can make his own decisions. He has the authority. But he ends up doing what the crowd says and what the Jewish leaders say. He thinks Jesus is innocent. He notices, if you look at verse 10 of chapter 15, these guys are just out to get Jesus' blood because they're envious of him. I think Pilate preferred Jesus to the high priests. Didn't see any harm in him. And that's about as far as it went. Because he doesn't see anything else in Jesus. He sees no reason to risk his political career, his standing. No need to risk a riot to do the right thing. This is just another person. Yeah, nice guy. Confusing guy. I don't quite understand him. But he's not worth it. I'll call you king of the Jews. No problem. I hate the Jews anyway. He doesn't recognize that who is standing before him is not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I think we're caught there between the two things. We like the Barabbases, we like them. We don't understand Jesus is going into passive mode as the power of this world amps up against him. We're confused by him admitting his power and his status and his authority when it seems like it's too late. We like Jesus. What is he worth? Is it worth all the bother?
That's how Jesus goes to the cross. One group of people saying, we hate your guts. Everyone likes you more than they like us. Another people, group of people going, why don't you stand up for yourself? Stand up for us. And Pilate going, sorry, but you're just not worth it, mate. The irony? Of course Jesus is more liked than the chief priests because he brings words of hope and life and light. The irony that that in staying passive, Jesus stands up for us against our biggest foe. The irony that in not being worth the bother, Jesus becomes worth everything to us.